0: All right, let's open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11 is where we'll start. Keep your Bibles handy. We'll find just a few verses before we settle down in Psalm 73 today. Ecclesiastes 9. I forgot uh, to announce one thing. Just let me slip this in quickly. Michelle has organized a uh, play. She's been conducting a play there at Naledi Christian Academy with the students there with the young kids there that's going to happen next sunday at one o'clock at not lady christian academy in extension 11 so if any of you have time after the service to head that side and and see that the play is called oh come all ye faithful so those of you that would like to be faithful (laughs) head on out there and and uh, be a part of that play i'm sure that would be much appreciated Ecclesiastes nine verse 11 i'd like to talk to you today about a subject i think that can hit home for a lot of you if not all of you It certainly hits home with me. Um, It's called Life Isn't Fair. Life is not fair. Have you ever said that? Maybe you've never said it out loud, but you're just maybe too shy or too scared to say it. But you've thought it, right? On a few occasions, life is not fair. And I want to show you from the Bible today that you were not wrong, (laughs) You were spot on. You recognized something that the smartest, or let's say the wisest man ever, Solomon, he noticed it as well. And uh, it frustrated him. It really got under his skin. And I'd like to show you from the Bible today how you can handle that. Ecclesiastes 9 and 11, Solomon says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all. Now you understand what he's noticed. Uh, A swift runner should win the race, but he doesn't always. The strong man should win the battle, all things being equal. The strongest man should win, but it doesn't always happen like that. The wisest man should know how to make a living, get money, bread, but it doesn't always work out that way. And and Solomon is acknowledging that life isn't fair. In verse 12, for man also knoweth not his time. Now Solomon didn't say we don't have a specific appointed time in which we would die. We do, and I'll show you that today. But we don't know what day that is. For man also knoweth not his time, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. Sometimes an accident happens. Accidents are a real thing. And Solomon acknowledges that. He says, we don't know the day in which these accidents are going to happen. We don't know, and and you have to see this as two separate things. God has appointed us a certain amount of days on this earth. We don't know how many. But beyond the appointed time in which we should die, accidents can also happen and we could die before that appointed time. The only conclusion we can come to is that life, is simply sometimes, many times, it's not fair. So with that lovely thought, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him for some help. Amen. Father, please, would you guide us today? We have to talk about some difficult things. Lord, we're only interested in the truth. We're interested in you telling us how to approach life. Lord, you're the giver of it, the maker thereof, and there's no other place, no other person we want to hear from about this life than you. Please, Don't let it be me, God. Speak to your people today. Encourage somebody. Teach us, please. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've heard this uh, phrase before, nice guys finish last. You've heard that, yeah? Um, I don't know if that's... I'm sure a nice guy said that. (laughs) I'm sure sure it was some guy who finished last that figured, well, this must be evidence that I'm a nice guy, right? And he came up with that pithy little saying... Uh, but I've seen that to be true. I don't know about you, but I've, I've seen some situations where I look at it and think, God, if I were you, I wouldn't let that happen. I wouldn't I would come down and fix this thing. I wouldn't let this accident happen. I wouldn't let these tragedies go on, God. I wouldn't let that baby be born with some sort of disease. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow a five-year-old kid to come down with cancer. I wouldn't allow a teenager to die in his youth, prime of life. I wouldn't allow that to happen. I saw a man when I was in Bible school named Steve Samples, loved God. He was a police officer before he became a preacher and was an upstanding man pretty much his whole life. But as a preacher, he stood out in the streets and gave the gospel to people faithfully and him and his brother both. And Steve came down with a horrible form of cancer and it just began to take him and he, he had to take out one of his eyes because the cancer had spread to that and then they had to take out the other eye now he's standing out on the street corner no eyes holding up his bible preaching the word of god with a big smile on his face never complained about it then the cancer spread to his brain so they had to operate and take out part of his brain so he's limited quite limited but could still preach he could still give out the word of god and he kept going I remember that man standing up in Dr. Ruckman's pulpit and giving a testimony one morning and saying, folks, I still praise God. I have no complaints. I'm so happy to be saved and serving the Lord. And and he said, don't you mourn when I die. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I'm not scared of it. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing my Savior with the brand new eyes I'm going to have. And then just months before he died, he found out his wife was pregnant with their first child. And the baby was born, and Steve was getting worse and worse and going downhill pretty quickly. And just about a week before he died, they got the diagnosis that the baby had also come down with cancer. Same cancer as the dad in the, in the brain. A week before he died. That's not fair. That's not right. Why'd that happen? Why'd God let that happen? Why would God not step in and just heal that baby? At least, at least the baby, right? I had a man in Malawi. You've heard me talk about him many times. Elemon Zeke. Zeki. He decided to, he got discipled, did our discipleship material, went, went through that. and Went back to the village, started winning people to Christ and discipling them. And he didn't even want to start a church. The church just started and he began to pastor it. And his family was so upset about it that his mother and seven of his brothers and sisters came together and plotted against him and i'm sorry it was i don't know how many brothers and sisters that's right they plotted with seven other pastors in that village and they hired hitmen to take him out so we had to rush him out of the city because they were going to they were going to come in, or out of that village because they were hunting him down that's not fair and then come to find out i didn't even know it at the time but elimon His wife, uh, I think it was their third or fourth child, had been born retarded and could not even hold its head up. And all that baby did from the day it was born was cry every day, all day. If that child was awake, that child was crying. The child never learned how to speak. Even at the age of 10, mama had to carry that child. And the child kept growing, right? But the child couldn't even hold its arms and its head up. It would just flop side to side and just cry. All day and all night. I never heard Elimon complain about it. I never heard his wife say one ill word about it. I only found out because I said, Brother Elimon, why why doesn't your wife come to church all the time with you? Is she sick or something? And then he told me about it. He said, we have to take turns. I was in Malawi the day that child passed away. And Elimon called and he said, Brother Mike, I just wanted to thank you for praying all these years for me and my wife. And God's taken... Our child to heaven now and it's a great day of rejoicing for us. He said, we're, we're, we're so happy that the child no longer feels any pain. And uh, he said, Brother Mike, we're, we, don't want, we don't want anyone to think that it was, it was a bother. It was never a burden. I didn't think so. I would have said it's a burden. That's not fair. I got to South Africa and shortly after we started the church, we had some, I was coaching the basketball team on the university campus here and had some of the ball players come to church and I would drive to the campus every morning, to, every Sunday morning and, and pick them up and drive them out to the horse riding club where we had the church. And Had the privilege of leading one of the young men to Christ, Duan Barnard. Duan, as I was giving him a lift, I began to witness to him. I said, Duan, are you saved? If you died today, you're going to heaven. He wasn't sure and I gave him the gospel and, He came to me about, I think, three weeks before Easter, I guess it'd have to be about 2012, 2013, the year is slipping me now, it must have been 2012, yeah, it had to be 2012. And he brought me a letter, he handed me the letter and I opened it up and read it and he said, Coach, I just wanted to thank you for giving me the gospel a few weeks ago, I want you to know I thought about everything you said and I gave my heart to Christ and I'm saved and really excited for the change I can feel in me and a few weeks later on Easter Sunday he's driving somewhere with his family to go on some sort of a vacation with them and somebody sideswiped him and car tumbled off the road doing about 120 clicks and just tumbled and tumbled and threw him out of the car when they with the paramedics picked him up he was still alive but he thought he was a teenager again he, he couldn't remember who he was and what was going on they took him to the hospital and a few hours later he died. And then they, they call me up and they say, Pastor, we just want you to know Duan's been in a car accident. I start praying. I, some of you might remember that Sunday night we were praying. And a few hours after the Sunday evening service ended, we got word that he had passed on. So they asked me to preach part of the funeral in Pretoria where he was from. And I'm standing there and I can see the picture. And I, they had to wheel his mother because the stepdad died in the accident. He died from the accident. His mother was horribly horribly uh injured in the accident they had to wheel her in in the hospital bed for the funeral she couldn't even lift her head it's not fair to walk past that lady's hospital bed in a church and have to say Tani, i'm i'm so sorry i'm so sorry that's not fair life's not fair what else do we say to that What else do we say? Come to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I'll show you what Solomon said about it. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse number 15. Ecclesiastes 2 and 15. Then said I, my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? So what was the point in trying to do things right? The same thing that happens to the fool happens to me. It all comes out to be, we all end up in the same mess. So what was the point in being oprecht and trying to treat people well? Conclusion, verse 15, Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity. This was useless. And if you're not careful, that's the conclusion you'll come to about life. You'll say, this isn't fair, so it's useless. Verse 17, Therefore I hated life. How's that for honesty? You say goodbye to Duan. You watch Elemon's children suffer. You see Steve Samples go through what he did. And you'll end up saying that too if you're not careful. Therefore I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It all grieved me. It, it, It frustrated me. It made me angry. Now I want you to notice a very important phrase. He said, because the work that is wrought... Under the sun, 29 times in 12 chapters, 29 times, Solomon said, under the sun. Now, you you have to know that. You have to see that. Solomon is coming to the conclusion that life is useless. It's a vexation of spirit. He hates it based on what he can see with his own two eyes under the sun. He's not coming to that conclusion based off what the Bible says. You understand, he's not reading the law. He's not looking at at God's side of the story. He's just examining the evidence with his own two eyes, thinking about it from a human perspective, from a temporary perspective, and said, what's the point? Come to chapter 7 in verse number 17. Chapter 7 and verse 17. I'd like to, hopefully by the end of this sermon give you and offer you a different perspective on this. But let me, let me point something out here. There is one misconception that needs to be addressed. And this is where people, this is, this is the tipping point. If you can get this right, then you'll be able to deal with these injustices that life gives us. You get this wrong and the bitterness is going to build up in your heart and completely consume you. People say this all the time. They say, well, it's all part of God's plan. Something unfair happens. Some bad thing happens to a good person or vice versa, a good thing happens to a bad person. And we look at that and we say, this isn't fair. And then some well-meaning people will say, well, that's just all part of God's plan. God knows and he's in control. And then once you think like that, Then you have to answer the next question, if God's in control and and God decided on this and God made this happen, what kind of a God am I worshiping? Do I really want to have a relationship with a God who would allow these things to happen? So so look at what it says here in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 17. He says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Now, the reason I'm pointing this verse out to you, we're we're learning a little bit before we get into the actual preaching here because we've, we've got to lay some groundwork here. God has appointed all of us a certain amount of days and years on this earth. We have an appointed time. You know this from the New Testament, don't you? And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We all have an appointment with death. Now, none of us know how long we have as we come into the world, but we do know that our life is limited. We do know we're not going to last forever in this mortal form. We know that, right? Okay, we know that. If you come in expecting life to be nothing but pleasure and fun and no problems, you have a false concept. You're going to be sadly disappointed. You'll struggle to deal with reality. Reality is you're limited. Reality is, sicknesses and diseases and accidents, these things happen. God has given us a certain amount of time. But, based on choices that we make, you can die before your time. Based on bad choices you make, wickedness, foolishness, you can cause accidents. Right? You can put yourself in an evil place where evil things happen. You can do things, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, and extend your life. You can actually add to the allotted time that God gave you, depending on the choices that you make. Please understand this as well. When God makes a decree and says, this is going to happen, and no one can do anything about it, guess what's going to happen? That decree is going to take place. There's no way to overthrow it. When God says, I've sworn and I will not repent, this is what's going to happen. God, as the sovereign of the universe, is allowed to do that. But let us not make the mistake of thinking God's sovereignty means he makes our decisions for us. The word sovereign means complete authority. So let me use this illustration for you. If the government here, and listen, the king is sovereign. He gets to make rules and so forth and execute rules. The king, the president, the government here, they they have authority. They can give you a driver's license, right? They can. They don't always, but they can. They will K-53 you to death. And actually try to tell you that it's going to help you on the road. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But... After you've done that process, they give you a license. Now, does this mean that the government, the authority, are they responsible for all the road accidents? No, the person driving. If the person driving gets drunk and then goes out and gets in an accident, we're not going to take that politician who signed into law that we're allowed to have licenses, we're not going to blame him. He was the authority that gave you freedom to make choices. God, as sovereign, said, you get to make choices. And because of that, yes, there's a downside. Accidents are going to happen. Bad choices are going to be made. People are going to be hurt that shouldn't have been hurt. Life is not always going to be fair. If God had mapped the whole thing out, made all of our choices for us, God, because he's upright, everything would work out perfectly. So the fact that not everything works out perfectly tells me God has not made all of our choices for us. He said, but Brother Mike, that can't be right. God's sovereign. He always gets his way. His will is always done. You know better than that. You know better than that. What's the Bible tell us? The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing, not willing that any man should perish. But that all should come to repentance. The Bible says clearly in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, it is the will of God for all men to be saved. So we cannot possibly say that God always gets his way. He doesn't. Because of a free will concept, because God allows us to choose, therefore bad choices are going to be made. And that's why life isn't fair. When Adam and Eve made bad choices, sin came into the world. And with that, all the complications that go with. We can't blame that on God. We blame that on the person who abused the license of freedom. Now, take your Bible. Let's, let me show you another verse that goes with this. 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel 26. He said, but Brother Mike, because God is so powerful, why doesn't he step in and stop the bad things from happening? Fine, we, we can make bad choices, but if God's so powerful, why doesn't he step in and fix it when we make a bad choice and stop us from doing bad things? Well, now think about this. Think deep about that. If God did that and he overrode all of your bad decisions, if he, if he steps in and fixes one person's bad choice, flips the switch of free will off, Changes your mind against your will and makes you do the right thing. Makes you do the the correct, take the correct path there. If he does it for you, he has to do it for every other person on every other decision. Otherwise, God's not being fair. So, So guess what? It's either free will or no free will. There is no in between. There is no, I'll step in here and there. Now God, he does constantly advise us. He constantly tries to warn us, don't go down that path. Stay away from there. Don't make these decisions. 31,000 verses filled with advice for how to stay in the right place. So God is certainly trying to make things work out as good as they possibly can in a sin-cursed world. We can't blame Him for not trying. Good grief, folks. He came down to the earth in a human body and said, let me show you how to do it. I'll live the life for you. Here you go. Here's the example. Follow this, and you can have perfect fellowship with God, and you'll get along with each other. And, but do we follow it? He's done his part. 1 Samuel 26 and verse 10, David said furthermore, now this is Saul. Saul's attacking him and trying to kill David. And now some of David's men have advised David. They said, you have a chance now. Go kill Saul. They're, they're in a cave and Saul doesn't know David's there. And they said, go, go take out your enemy. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth. So this is a sure thing. The Lord shall smite him or his day shall come to die or he shall descend into battle and perish. Do you see the options? Said that everything is scripted by God. Well, then there should only be one option. Then we should just say his day will come to die. Done. But David said there's three options here. The Lord could get upset with Saul and the Lord could step in and bring some sort of catastrophe and have Saul die before Saul's time. Or, David said maybe Saul lives out his life and dies of natural causes. Or, Saul heads into battle and dies and perishes there. Well, folks, listen, if you're going to go into a war, you've got to think your chances of death go up right guys you've got to consider if you hang out in seedy low-life dark dingy wicked places your chance for problems goes up so might i just say before we go on a lot of the times when we say life isn't fair you brought it on yourself we might actually say that the problems we're having yes it's not fair you should have more problems It was Ezra who said, God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Let's just keep that in mind as we go through this. But that being said, there are times when bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and it's just not fair, and and we do. We need to stop and think about how to deal with that. So let's come to Psalm 73, and I'll show you a man in the Bible who dealt with that. For those of you that might be struggling with it, and uh, I'm not condemning you if you are, I understand it, I've also had to work that out in my mind several times, but Asaph, he's David's choir director, one of them, Asaph wrote Psalm 73, and you're going to see this entire psalm answers this question, front to back, it's dealing with this exact topic. So Psalm 73, verse number one, it says, truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart. Now, it's strange the way Asaph did this. His opening is his conclusion. So, he, the first verse, he is, he is giving us the conclusion he came to after struggling with the thought of life not being fair. So, he starts off by saying, now, truly, God is good, right? He said, I, I want you to know up front, that's, what I'm, that's my thought, but... Here's where I was, verse 2. But as for me, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He says, I was almost, I almost gave up on God. I almost quit. You ever been there? Maybe you're in verse 2 this morning. Maybe you came to church this morning and your thought was, that's it. If I don't hear from God today, this is it. I'm not coming back. I'm not praying, I'm not going to read my Bible, that's it, today or, or nothing. That's Asaph. Verse 3, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So in his case, wicked people, good things happening to them. And he says, God, this isn't right. They're corrupt, they're wicked, and yet it all works out. Verse 4, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm, So even as they die, they still have everything they want. They pass their inheritance on to their kids. Even in their death, it doesn't seem to bother them. In verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Their pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. They, They think they can do anything and get away with it. Their pride is like a chain. You can't break it. You cannot convince them they're wrong. Why? Because everything they do, everything they touch, turns to gold. So no matter what you say, and you say, oh, but you're wicked, you're sinful. He says, what should I care? Look, everything works out for me. So the pride just grips him. Verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. All their heart's desire. They just take it in and take it in and take it in. Verse 8, they are corrupt. And speak wickedly concerning oppression. So they abuse others. And when somebody points it out, they say, what's the big deal? Not my problem. I got what I want. They speak loftily. Put themselves above everyone else. Verse 9, they set their mouth against the heavens. And their tongue walketh through the earth. They got a filthy mouth. They blaspheme God. And it doesn't even bother them. Verse 10, therefore, his people. Now notice, Asaph's been writing about challah the whole time. Their mouth, their ways, their death, and so forth. Now he says, therefore, his people. Who? God's people. So God's people watched the wicked prosper. They watched the righteous suffer. And there were some of God's people watching life not being fair. And they gave up. They slipped. Asaph saw them breeze right past that slipping point right off into apostasy. And he says, therefore his people return hither. God's people go back to those wicked ways. He says in verse 10, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. Guess what the reward is for God's people backsliding and going out into the world and living wicked. When, when the wicked, when, when these people get to the wicked place, the wicked ring out, the waters of a full cup and they say, man, glad to see you. Man, so glad you gave up on all that religious nonsense, you know. I mean, look, God wasn't doing much for you. Look at how your life was. Constantly going to church and reading a, a, an ancient book and, you know, all those hypocrites down at the church. Man, finally, you came to your senses. And you've come to join us. Man, be a part of it. Come, man, here's a drink. Enjoy the party. Man, and at first, it seems like this was a good decision. Finally somebody accepts me finally a place where I can be me and I can, I can actually get ahead in verse 11 and they say how doth God know and there is and, and is their knowledge in the most high you see the conclusion they came to before they went off to backslide they said eh, God obviously isn't watching what's happening if he was he wouldn't let all this injustice take place So God obviously isn't watching. And off they go. Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Asaph said, I've wasted my time trying to live right. What was the point? They're trying to live wrong and good things happen. I'm trying to live right and bad things happen. said this was a waste of time and have you felt like that i can see it on some of your faces you felt like that this week maybe i just let that font sink in for a second (laughs) you know in the movies whenever a good point is made the background music builds up a little bit so just in case you were wondering where that came from that was the holy spirit saying listen to this (laughs) Verse 13, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Every day is bad for him. If I say it, I will speak thus. Behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. So Asaph said, If I take all these internal thoughts and voice them, I might discourage the other children of God, the other people trying to follow God. And they may get frustrated and think, yeah, you're right, Asaph, you, you got a bad rap, a bad deal. God isn't treating you right. And maybe they won't follow along. Maybe they'll slip. So Asaph said, at least I'll keep it to myself. Verse 16, when I fought to know this, it was too painful for me. He said, I, 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 can't, I can't bear this thought. I can't deal with it. I don't know what to do with it. He says, this is just too much. Verse 17, watch it. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Now, folks, you need to hear this. And if you were here last Sunday night, you might be able to detect what I'm going to say next. But he got some help going to church. He went down to the house of God. And he found what he needed at just the right time because he was about to quit he was about to slip He got the advice he needed and god spoke to his heart. I don't know how god showed him this I don't know what reminded him. It could have been a priest down at the temple Sharing the scripture with him It could have been a prophet because they also stayed by the temple some of them Maybe he chatted with one of the prophets and said hey Mr. Prophet, would you please tell me how all this works? Why is God doing this? Why isn't God doing these other things? Why? Maybe he just met with some of the other people. Maybe it was a priest, a prophet, or the other people of God. Whatever the case was, he went down there and they reminded him to view things from a bigger perspective. Asaph was looking at it very narrowly. He was looking at just that wicked man's life up to his death. Claude. that was it. Asaph had forgotten that there's more to our existence than this physical life. Asaph had forgotten that on the other side of the grave, we still have to answer for what we've done. Just because you die without punishment doesn't mean you're free from punishment. say, where do we learn this? Well, if you come to the house of God, you hear it every Sunday. You say, Brother Mike, you don't preach about this every Sunday. Sure, I do. I'll tell you how. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Do you know what you just heard there? you know what that gospel says? Something that was incredibly unfair, something very bad happened to somebody very good. Was it fair that Jesus dies in our place? That's not fair. That's why we call it grace. It wasn't fair. That's why we call it mercy, Dischanada. It wasn't fair. You know what God did when He raised Jesus from the dead? Among other things, God is acknowledging what happened to Jesus wasn't fair, and I will not let it rest at the grave. I will fix this even after the grave. So we learn that there is something on the other side of the grave, and God is interested in making wrong things right. God will balance this out, either in this life or in the next. But we have the promise of God via the resurrection and via hundreds of other verses that our God, the God of the Bible, is a just, upright, righteous God and He will recompense. He will make it right. How do we know this? But how, how can we be sure God will make it right? Because He raised His Son from the dead. Week after week you hear that. Folks, I know this is true. I know it's true because I've been doing this long enough to say this with 100% assurance. 95% of the counseling I do could be avoided if you just show up to church. And there's, about, there's a good number of you that could probably stand to come to the office and get some biblical counseling rather than dumping hundreds of thousands of rands down the psychologist's coffers. You could really do with a good dose of the Bible. Amen. Just a lot of Bible getting in there. And I, I'm not one of these pastors. I, I believe there's a place for psychology. I do. I recognize that. I don't throw the whole profession out. I think they can do some good, but not as much good as Christians think they can. You'd do a whole lot better to spend several hours down there at the house of God getting some eternal, biblical, spiritual perspective rather than letting somebody else give you an earthly, temporary perspective. Write your problem on a piece of paper and burn it, and then the problem goes away. No, it doesn't. The paper goes away. Do you need me to tell you that? I just saved you a lot of money. (laughs) People pay big bucks for that. that's a a scam that's just a scam you come down to the house of God and and, and somebody opens up a Bible and says this is how God is going to handle this situation you just need to be patient and let him deal with it in his time and here's how you react if you just spend more time down at the house of God maybe a lot of these quote unquote accidents quote unquote disasters that happen in your life could be avoided Amen. I'll tell you this, life isn't fair, but God is. So rather than looking at every happenstance of your life, you might want to set your eyes on God for a while. In verse number 18, he, or verse 17 at the end, we don't want to miss this. Then understood I their end. What is their end? Didn't he already mention it in verse 4? Didn't he already talk about their death? He talked about their death, but now he's talking about their end. That's not the same thing. Guys, the grave isn't the end. And he had to go down there to church to, rem- to remember that, just to put his priorities back in the right way, to, to get the perspective where it needed to be. He says in verse 18, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. Uh Aha, there's their end. Not the grave. There's an eternal punishment. The wicked didn't get away with it. It looked like they did to our earthly eyes under the sun, Solomon. What you can see under the sun doesn't look fair. But when you look at it through God's eyes in eternity, they didn't get away with it. God's going to make sure that the wicked get what's coming to them. And the righteous, who, the nice guy who finished last, God will make sure that it's made right for him as well. In verse number 19, how are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. That's not the grave. That's well beyond the grave. Now watch what's happening. And you need to hear this. All of you need to hear this. Asaph was getting full of bitterness and anger and wrath towards his fellow man. He was looking at these corrupt politicians. He was looking at these thieves. He was looking at these, these wicked people all around him prospering. He was getting angry and bitter at them and at God. Once he looked at this through God's eyes, reminded of it down there at the house of God, you know what? He, it changed. All of a sudden, he's no longer angry at them. Now he feels pity for them. Now he looks at the same crowd and says, God help them. They're on their way to hell. You see, I can tell that a lot of people struggle with this because of the bitterness and wrath that is overflowing in this country. Everybody's angry about something that someone else did. And instead of viewing them through God's eyes, we're looking at it through our own eyes. And what's fair and what's not fair as if we get to judge that. In verse number 20, as a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. See, right now, they have this image, hey, I'm a big, I'm a big shot. They got that pride linked around them as a chain. Boy, they think highly of themselves. And he says, one day when God arises to fix this and you stand before him at judgment... And try to pull off this, hey, I'm a big shot God, you can't punish me. <laughs> big shot. <laughs> Standing in front of the creator of the universe. I'm a big shot. <laughs> all right, go on, Mr. Big Shot. Tell him all about how big you are. He says in verse twenty one, Thus my heart was what? Grieved. And I was what? Pricked in my reins. He got under conviction. He says, man, it's not been good for me to be angry and bitter and frustrated. Now he feels conviction. Now he feels grief for these other people. Verse 22, so foolish was I. Guys, do you know one of the clearest definitions of foolishness in the Bible is not being able to see the big picture. A wise man considers the end. God said it, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. A fool says, what feels good now is the right thing to do and doesn't think about the consequences. Asaph was looking at this very tem- in a temporary way and now he sees it in a bigger picture. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. What do animals do? They do what feels good at the moment. Animals don't have family planning and retirement play. They, they don't think about the future. They don't think about the future. If it feels good now, we do it. Want to eat, I eat. I want to sleep, I sleep. Asaph was acting just like the animals do. He's looking around going, wait, wait, wait that's not fair, that's not fair. Right now in the moment, not thinking of eternity. Verse 23, now here's where we get to the solution. Nevertheless... I am continually with thee. That's a tremendous statement. As angry and frustrated as he was, God hadn't left him. He had almost slipped. And he said, God, even when I was bitter and angry and frustrated, and I don't know how long Asaph was like that, But through that whole time, he said, now I see it because I went back down to the house of God. I finally got reminded that God is never going to leave me. I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Why am I not completely destroyed? Why am I still able to go on at all? I couldn't even feel it. I didn't recognize it at the time. But God has been holding my hand the whole way through this. When I look back at the times I've been angry at God I look back at it and I think what there was the last thing I would have thought is God is taking care of me right now. But as as I look back at it I can see where his hand was right there. Verse 24 Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Now he's He's reminding himself what's going to happen going forward. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. God, from now on, I'm not going to trust what I can see and what I deduce from it. I'm going to trust what you tell me. Do you see that? Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. Guys, many times in the week, we're going to open a Bible and give you counsel from this pulpit. If you would like to be guided by this counsel, and it's not limited to what you get here, You can get it every day, reading your Bible, talking to God personally. You can fellowship with each other. You need to. Amen? You need to. That's why God brought us together as a local church. To help each other in times like this. Rather than depending on your interpretation of the events, let God guide you. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. How's that for the long look? How's that for any eternal perspective? Asaph knows, well, any day now, this life is over and then all everything comes square. The records get made right. <laughs> I'm gonna spend forever with God. I'm gonna enjoy the glory of God forever. Hey, guess what? That's not fair. You don't deserve that. You don't deserve that. Look at what happened to Asaph. He went from, life's not fair, God's wrong, how dare, to, ah, man, eternity's not fair. I shouldn't get to be with him forever. This is tremendous. Praise the Lord. One trip to the house of God, mind shift. I mean, the whole thing, the whole perspective changed. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but thee, and there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. life's not fair. Okay, well then, how about we change what you expect out of life? What what did you think life was going to give you? Did you expect life to be a utopia? Did you expect sinless perfection with no accidents and no problems? With no sickness, no bills, no death? Did you expect that? That's not reality. But we get all these things where we think God owes us a certain, you know, salary and Certain living condition and certain kind of clothing and God owes us, a, you know, a certain amount of health. And where is that written? Now, now I'm, not, I'm not condemning anyone for desiring to be healthy and have enough to eat and wear. I, I get that. I think that's normal and natural. But we've got to be real careful not to not to start making demands and saying, God, I'm not going to be happy unless you tick all these boxes. Here's what, here's what the New Testament tells us. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. What do I have? For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God said, if you would like to get rid of the bitterness, if you'd like to get over your frustration... If you you would like to move past the injustices in life, then be satisfied with me. I have promised I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll hold your hand no matter how tough it is, no matter what you're going through. I will guide you with my counsel and afterward receive you to glory. And if that's enough for you, that won't stop all the accidents and injustices of life, but it will keep you content. It will allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said in verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. What else do you desire? What else do you want out of life? Or is God enough? In verse 26, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion for how long? Forever. Eternal He's looking at it eternally. God is my portion. That's all I desire. Verse 27, For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Not the grave, looking beyond. In verse 28, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. He acknowledges that bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. We've learned from Solomon that accidents do happen. This is part of living in a a sin-cursed world. Not even God gets everything he wants. Not even God. And Asaph's conclusion is, it's good for me to get close to God. Because truly, God is good to them that have a clean heart. Asaph realized that's the best way to live. That's the right thing to do. Get as close to God as you can and then he'll help you get through the unfair parts of life. Let's all stand if you would please. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed for a few moments. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Guys, we we have not exhausted this subject by any means. We didn't even talk about how God can use some of the unfair things in life for the good to to, to mold you more into His image. We, We didn't even get into that. But if you've come today, maybe your heart is a bit heavy. You've been carrying around that bitterness, that anger. Why, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you let this happen to me? You need to know that's a fair question but you also need to know there's an answer. Jesus knows exactly how it feels to have something very unfair happen. So if you would like some counsel I recommend you run to Him tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin run to him and say Lord you know what it feels like to be cheated to be abused to be mishandled to be lied about you know how it feels to have a corrupt government twist and destroy your life he knows he died at the hands of it run to him Say, Lord, this life has nothing to offer me. I I hate it. It's not fair. Well, then draw nigh to God because He is. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and close the service. I'm going to ask a slightly different question. I normally ask for, to pray for people that uh, are not saved. And by all means, if that's you today, I, I hope that you find Christ today as your Savior. But I'd like to pray specifically today for people that maybe are a bit frustrated. and Maybe you're kind of like Asaph back there in verse 2 where he said, I'm, I almost slipped. Maybe you've come to church today with a very heavy heart. And I'd just like to ask the Lord to help you. To give you that bigger perspective. If if you're like that this morning, would you just slip your hand up and you can put it right back down. I'd just like to pray for you. Thank you. Several hands. I appreciate that. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee folks as much as we'd like to make everything work out I I wish I could just flip a switch and make all your problems go away that's just not real that's not life take Asaph's advice it's good to draw near to God come closer use this problem you're going through to get closer to the Lord Father, please, I want you to help these folks that raise their hand, Lord. I'm asking not because we deserve it, Lord. We don't. Father, we have nowhere else to turn. We, We not only want, Lord, we need your counsel. The hands that went up, we need to feel your hand holding us. Lord, remind us that you're continually with us. Lord, I, I'm, I know that life isn't fair, and I'm not blaming you for it. I have, but I'm not now. Lord, you do all things well. And I know, Lord, if it was up to you, Lord, if everybody did it your way, it would all work out perfect, but it's our fault, Lord. It's our fault. Father, would you please comfort these hearts that are hurting this morning, breaking. Lord help them not to slip help them to get as close to you as they possibly can Father if perchance somebody here is not saved Lord would you please help them to find full forgiveness today at the foot of the cross thank you Father for speaking to our hearts this morning would you please bring us back tonight we'd like to hear from you more God learn more from your word please help us in Jesus name Amen